Hey, what's going on, everyone? And welcome to another episode of Talking in Bits. But before we actually get to the show, I wanted to remind you guys that Talking in Bits is completely 100% audience funded. What that basically means is, is that you will never have to sit through no ads while you're listening to Talking in Bits. And the only way we can continue to do that and have been able to do that is with contributions and donations with great listeners such as yourself. So in order to keep that spirit alive, there's a few ways that you can actually donate to the show. My favorite way is podcasting 2.0 apps. There's a bunch of them out there, but my two favorite are Fountain App and Breeze. And with these apps, it's basically like any other podcasting app. You can subscribe to Talking in Bits. Um, you can load up some sats into the wallet and you can set how many sats per minute you think Talking in Bits is worth or how much value you're receiving from Talking in Bits. You can do this from both of those apps. Another really cool feature in, the, in these apps, these podcast 2.0 apps, is the boost feature. And what the boost feature is, is basically you get to pick a certain amount of sets that you want to send in and you can embed a message inside of that transaction into the show. And what I'm going to do is week to week, the best ones that come in, I'm going to read them and give shout outs here live on the show. So that's another way that you can help keep this ad free um, and keep this content rolling. Uh, if you're not using the podcast 2.0 apps, then you can head on over to talkingandbits.com backslash donate. And there you'll find various links to be able to send in Lightning, to be able to send on-chain, and even a Paynim. So go check out the, the website. That's another way to contribute. And if you're listening to us on the legacy outlets like YouTube, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, then you could do the good old-fashioned leave a review, share, subscribe. All that stuff helps and helps us float up higher so more people can get this value and more people can get everything that we want to provide to our listeners. So once again, we appreciate you. The only reason we've been able to keep this up is because of y'all, and we want to keep that going for as long as we can. All right, without further ado, on to this week's episode. I also made the case for winning Bitcoin, the quintessence of scarcity premium. Scarcity premium. It's literally the only large tradable asset in the world that has a known fixed maximum supply. By its design, the total quantity of Bitcoins cannot exceed 21 million. Bitcoin is the hardest money that has ever been invented. If you don't have my private key, you cannot spend my Bitcoin, period. And this is the power of Bitcoin. This is the power of Bitcoin. Since the first time we figured out how to create true property that you can take possession of with full custodial rights. Hey, what's going on, everyone? And welcome to another episode of Talking in Bits, where we walk you through Bitcoin bit by bit so we can provide you with the information you need to succeed and persist. Back with episode 74 and I really got an exciting episode here. Slim, you've been on my guest wish list for about two or three months now since I saw you speak in Austin the last time. And yeah, here you are, man. Welcome, Slim. I appreciate you. Hey, man, we came full circle, right? It's, uh, I've, been to, I've been to Austin so many times. I can't remember when that was. But yeah, uh, man, glad to be here. Uh, enjoy your uh, show. I, I enjoy talking to you, man. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. Uh, I think it was uh, in April. You were up at the Commons. Um, yes. I think you were up there with Cole and, and you guys actually started handing around some meat. Uh, that's what uh, it was. Yes. Yep. So that's when I saw you first speak. I knew a little bit about you before that because, you know, I'm really close friends with Carr and a few right. of, the, uh, of those guys. Um, and then that's when I actually saw you, your message like live in person. And I was like, oh, this is the truth. This is the real deal. Yeah, and I, that was the weekend we had that conference down in Kerrville. So that was a big weekend for all of us. That's so, true. Yeah, I, I was told to go. And I, I had to fly out that Friday before, so I couldn't make it. But yep, that, yeah. you're right. That was that weekend. 
Um, so just for the listeners here, Slim, if you don't mind, just a, a little bit about yourself and your your journey or about yourself and when Bitcoin came into that journey and how you guys intersected, you and Bitcoin. Yeah, you, you, as I have to say that because we all have to say it. I got into Bitcoin a little late, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but you're, you know, you be honest with it and you're transparent, then it's all right. But you know, what happened, man? I, you know, I, I grew up in small town Texas. I mean, grew up somewhat poor. Uh, in, you know, when I was, I was about 19, I just said, screw this, I'm going to go to Austin. Always had loved Austin. So I, I, I ended up on Sixth Street in Austin. And my journey from there was pretty fascinating. Uh, learned how to travel, learned how to do a lot of things, but also learned a lot about technology. I was self-taught back in the day whenever we were going through the dot-com boom. On, online software was there. Uh, there was a lot to learn. And it was fascinating because you could teach yourself. You didn't have to go to university. You didn't have to go to the institutions. And, you know, you had ways and means so, you know, I grew up agricultural ranching community, you know, all my ancestors in Texas have been farmers, ranchers, but then I, you know, got into technology and I became somewhat, you know, pretty, pretty good at what I was doing. And so throughout those years, I balanced those types of careers and skill sets. And a couple of years ago, you know, I grew up rough and tumble, you know, I've had a lot of injury, I've broken over 20 bones, I got like 14 pieces of metal in me, Shit. and I, I'd gotten kind of, you know, hit up pretty hard on an injury, and I was, I had an internal injury that made me kind of be laid up for a while, I've been laid up before, so I started doing research, and I, I, I said, man, I'm going to look back into food, there's something wrong with food right now, In the same time I did that, I started looking into Bitcoin. And I looked at Bitcoin back in 2016 and 17, but my lifestyle just wouldn't, and my headspace wasn't there. So when I started looking at Bitcoin and food, I said, man, this is, this is kind of cross-pollinating a lot of uh, truths and a lot of lies all at the same time. Mm. So I started, you know, I started writing about it and I went and embedded myself in a harvest company because I wanted to go down deeper into the food intelligence rabbit hole. And so I've been on the road for about two and a half, three years now. And that whole time I've been learning about, you know, deeper into food intelligence and deeper into Bitcoin. And, you know, once I started writing about food intelligence, it led me into, you know, providing the solution. I knew that I had to get some proof of work going. And that's kind of when I, you know, created and founded the Beef Initiative. Yeah. So how do, and, and that's an amazing journey, by the way. Um, so how does... Uh, and then very action oriented mission too. Like a lot of people yeah. would have just said, well, this is selfishly, this is me, but no, you said I have to do something about this. Sure. So how did, in, in learning about Bitcoin and then learning that there was a problem in the food, um, how do those two things correlate? So food is sure. important, but wealth is important. How did you find well, the correlation? Well, the correlation is what I really tagged into that I noticed early on was I found it fascinating is decentralization, right? Decentralization of you know, you look at the internet, you know, the internet's really should be decentralized, but over the years it's been so centralized that it uses, it's a weapon, it's weaponized against us, right? Mm. So if you, if you understand true decentralization of technology, you can understand decentralization of, you know, the corporations, you know, the apparatus that I've functioned in for many years. And if you start looking at food and seeing how truly centralized it is from a global standpoint, that and when all this stuff really started happening within our food supplies, you can look back at you know what the heck happened in 1971, and you can start seeing the patterns. You can start uncovering some truths. And whenever I grew up, 
most of our food supply was very decentralized. Everything was sourced locally. You know, everybody, you know, they fed their communities. You know, our, my grandfather always fed the family first and then the rest of the community. They would trade, they would barter, and it was all on a two-party line system of phone and a, and a basically a barter system that they took care of between peer-to-peer -peer transactions. They didn't have to ask permission. They didn't have governmental control. They didn't have to tell anybody what they were doing. But every year, you were going to swap some of your cow for some of your hog, some of your fowl for some of your lamb. And same with, you know, going in and looking at um, produce is the same way. You know, our whole family was fed from the farm and then they would go out and sell locally to the community. So I started putting that type of thought of where I came from within food and what we could do and create an awareness within the Bitcoin space, the ethos, the protocol itself, the network. And I saw a big, big correlation that we needed to tap into from a historical value into moving forward. And, you know, Bitcoin was that uh, tool, but really it's the mind space first that you adapt. And then you can kind of start understanding how you can leverage the past and the, and the future into what we are trying to accomplish right now. Now, what is it that happened to the, to the food? Um, I mean, the easy answer could be fiat, but like, I know you have a much deeper answer. Um, mm -hmm. what, you know, how did we transition as a society from what you just said, that decentralized way of feeding our community to what we have now, which is a pretty much on the verge of eating bugs? Uh, how did we yeah. get here? Well, and I'll, I'll just start with 1971 because that's very familiar for the Bitcoiners, right? Yep. You know, whenever you debase a dollar, go off the gold standard, right? Well, that dollar is debased in everything, correct? Everybody can agree with that. Everybody raise their hand. Yep. Okay, if that dollar is debased, well, what happens to your, your, your food and your nutrition? Well, they have to stack layers of uh, fake value on top of the food layer that it exists. That way they try to increase the value of the money with the, the fake commodities. And so after 1971, we had a lot of chemical companies that had gotten pretty powerful after World War II. These mm. chemical companies became part of a capture of our agricultural world in the United States. And you have all the big, you know, the big umbrella of Monsanto, Bear, Cargill, all the, you know, the big conglomerates that are global conglomerate, conglomerates that control the seed of the world. And so you look at what happened in 71. Well, they started introducing herbicides, pesticides. You had Earl Butts of the Nixon administration saying, hey, farmer, you're going to go big or you're going to go home. You're going to go fence to fence now. And if you don't, you're out of business. And that's basically through a decade and a half. That's what happened to my grandfather. And so by saying that, you had this apparatus, a governmental apparatus that was working hand in hand with the major chemical companies across the world where they captured the agricultural world in a way that a lot of people didn't understand at the time. And it, where it's led the last 50 something years is basically put us into a compromised position as the consumer, as citizens and as the farmers and ranchers of the United States. And if you look at it from that perspective, you can see that we only eat our food today if we get permission from a chemical company. And a lot mm. of people don't understand that. You have things like a technology use agreement that Monsanto designed back in you know, the day to where most farmers and ranchers have to sign that agreement or they can't grow crops. And so, you know, who, who is the final authority? Who are we serving whenever we're eating? We're serving uh, chemical companies. And um, it's gotten to where it's so out of control, because if you're doing that, the intention of the chemical and the grain companies 
are basically driven by profit, uh, subsidies, fake commodities, and everything you've looked at. If you look at all the injection of fake commodities into our consumption models the last 50 years, you can see that, you know, from the seed oils to the high fructose corn syrup, all this crap that wasn't in our food before 1971. Then you look at our health as a nation, and it's all the same. The, 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 the devaluation of the dollar, the devaluation of our health, the devaluation of our agricultural world, they're the same chart. And so you can really see how they're very symbiotic and how they cross-pollinated into an apparatus that I call the medical pharmaceutical agricultural complex. And uh, it goes deep, you know, it does Boy, go yeah. deep. And it, it takes a little time to truly understand you know, where we came from. And sometimes you got to take a couple of steps back to understand where you came from. That way you can move forward from there. Yeah, that's a massive trifecta there that, that one would have to go against there, those three big conglomerates. Now, it, over, over time, do you think that, you know, it was, well, it could be a mixture of things, but how, how big did the average consumer's convenience play into their hands? Right. Did they just take advantage of that or? or? Sure. Yeah, they took, a, well, you look at it and, my whole life, I'm a generational exer, man. We used to have to do proof of work every day to survive. I mean, that was yeah. what that's, you know, we had a survival mentality when it came to food. You know, I grew up with a freezer full of beef. You know, we went out. I was hoeing cotton when I was four years old on grandpa's farm and stuff. We knew what proof of work was and everything. And whenever we started really combining, if you look at 1971, what happened there as well, you had TV dinners that's coming out. You had all these convenience models that were basically being driven and they were basically created in a form of complacency when it comes to nutrition and food. And not only, you know, in the seventies, did we, you know, start yearning for a, a form of convenience that we hadn't seen, they were able to market it in ways that made it look like it was more of an international lifestyle type of thing, that you were more sophisticated. Mm. You know, the wording, the labeling, the marketing that came out, they'd had many years to get there and they were pretty good at it in the 70s. But when it really took off that I see is whenever in the 90s, whenever we had NAFTA, we had the, you know, the, the, the pyramid, the food pyramid. We had a lot of different things that changed in our medical perspectives as far as, you know, what was healthy. We'd already had the war on cholesterol that had a lot of time behind it. We had the fat-free fiction that had been created to get off of animal fats and animal proteins and led to fat-free. Well, a lot of people were very good and intentional with trying to eat and your their consumption models were driven by good intentions. But once again, man, if you're looking at food, and you're looking at consumption and you're looking at convenience, then you're going to go down a path that's not going to be very healthy for you mentally, spiritually, or physically. Yeah. So convenience mis uh, mixed with a bunch of just being misguided and being mis yeah. misdirected. Yeah. Especially yeah, when you we would quit walk having in. The, yeah. We quit having family meals, you know, we, you know, everybody goes, Oh, you don't need to sit at a table. You damn right. need to sit at a table. You need to sit at a table and you need to have intentional conversations. You need to know where your food comes from. You need to get to the source of the seed what gives you power in this life. And it doesn't start with Bitcoin. It doesn't start yeah. with riches. It doesn't start with a nice house, nice car, nice education. It starts with the type of nutrition that you're feeding your brain and your body. It's as simple as that. And it's so simple that it's complicated to most people because the, the, the apparatus, you know, that 12 month cycle of dieting that we go through, you know, in Western cultures, 
you know, that never stops. And they play on that big time because, you know, we've created a form of gluttony in this in the, in the United States that is driven by, you know, poisonous food. Food is now a drug. And a lot of people can't escape that because they don't know where to start. Well, so powerful. Well said. That's uh, uh, I've never heard anybody quite put it like that. You are a master. Good, sir. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> so the, the, the easy stuff, um, the easy chemicals to spot, and, and I, want, I do want to get into the beef initiative uh, sure. uh, and go deeper into that. But before that, the easy stuff to spot is the seed oils, um, the high fructose corn syrup. Can you give me a little bit more on and, and like the on the shelf products? What are they doing to the meat right now that, you sure. know, if you, don't, if you don't know where it's coming from, could be hidden and people think they're getting good meat, but they're not? Yeah. You know, you look at you look at the fake commodities that would that were designed in the 70s, 80s and 90s that they injected into our food consumption. Well, they're they're vast. Right. And then you look at, you know, chemicals as themselves. And I'll just start with saying this first. In October of last year, the FDA won a lawsuit that basically allows them to inject 2000 more chemicals into our consumption models, into our food supply. This year, as you and I are speaking, and it's, it's, it's being done by something called the GRAS rule, G-R-A-S, generally recognized as safe. You can do, a, you can do FDA and GRAS rule, uh, October 21, you'll see the lawsuit. But by saying that, being able to inject that many chemicals into our food supply, why do we need all these chemicals, right? Well, it's because they are basically putting things together that I call fake commodities. And you look at beef itself and meat and animal protein. You know, if you eat chicken from the supermarket these days, you're not eating chicken, man. I'm serious. It's just <laughs> what it is. You look at chicken from 1950 to 2022, it's, it's a different, it's an alien. Wow. And so you look at, you know, I, I always say that the pork and the poultry market has already been captured. And that's a whole different story. And we'll, we'll build on that a little bit, but sure. it's probably a different podcast altogether. But let's look at meat. There's a war on meat going on right now. And some of the biggest players on that war of meat are the processors themselves. There's only four major uh, global processors that are functioning in the United States that provide 80 to 85% of our animal protein. And they're not American companies. They're global apparatuses. And a couple of them, I'll say GABS, they're in Brazil. So this war on meat has been uh, going on for years and years. The American rancher has had to battle this crap for everything because you look at meat, it's subsidized as a commodity. There's a lot of things that go into it that a lot of you know, consumers don't understand. What they don't understand as well is the labeling and the type of chemicals that can be injected into your food supply. And you can be very intentional thinking that you're eating a pure form of animal protein but you're usually not. And by able to inject all these different chemicals, <clears throat> excuse me, by injecting these type of chemicals, they can go, take this war on meat to a new level. If you go out there and I'll give you an example, you have a burrito, you know, people eat a burrito from a frozen burrito and it's supposed to be 50%, 50% bean, 50% meat, right? It's a combination burrito. Well, that's what it used to be. But now today it's less than 10% beef. It's 30% soy protein, which is poisonous to me. Uh, you have all these kind of fake meat products, once again, that they're creating that they can inject into our consumption models. And we're not going to really know it if we're not paying attention. And we really don't understand where that, those fake commodities come from. 
And uh, why is there a war on meat? Well, because it makes people powerful. Okay. It's the best form of nutrition that you can get. It's how we got here. I don't even argue that fact with people. If you think that you do, you can function as good as me on a vegan diet that comes from monocropping, I'll go toe to toe with you and you're just wrong. And you know, it's, that's why I don't even join the argument. And, and, and but to say that, this is not a vegan and a carnivore argument. This is about clean, pure food. And so they're taking away, as they've done the last 50 years, they've taken a lot of great produce out of our consumption from GMO science, genetically modified. A lot of people don't even know genetically modified is not even the thing now. Now it's bioengineered. And you look at pack next time you go to the grocery store or the supermarket, look at packages and it's going to say bioengineered and it has a barcode. They don't even have to tell you what it is. Wow. So what they've done with our, our produce and our grains and everything else with our oils, with our sugars and how they basically created a fake consumption model based on chemicals. They're going to do that with beef. They're not getting rid of beef, but they're going to, they're turning beef into caviar. A lot of the beef that is grown in the United States right now is it's some of the best beef in the world. You cannot question that. But a lot of the beef in the United States is sold overseas to China, to South Korea, to Japan, to Europe. And a lot of the consumption that we're having to buy at the supermarkets are basically controlled by those processing centers, which are also the, the packagers, the suppliers, the distribution models, the market access. They're the gatekeepers of that beef. So a lot of beef that we have today is coming from like Brazil, South America, Africa, and it comes over and they can process it in the United States and they can say, hey, this is USDA. And we think that it's USDA beef and it's really not. And this is not a conspiracy. This is from the ranchers themselves. This is you can you can look up and do a deep dive into JBS and all of these meat processing. You can figure it out yourself. You, people just don't know how, kind of where to look at so by, by taking beef out of our consumption model, you look at where we've gotten to right now. Uh, I, I work with a lot of doctors and there's a doctor, Dr. Mary Care. She's uh, out of Texas. She sees teenagers and she sees a lot of teenage boys. Well, our, their testosterone levels now coming into her doctor's office on physicals are around 200. They should be 1,200 to 1,400 on the testosterone count. Wow. That is being driven by a lack of animal protein in their diets. She tells me that a lot of boys are coming in and they're starting to become asexual. And you look what's going on in the social engineering of the United States and really the world right now. They're taking a lot of power out of our children. They're taking a lot of power out of adults because we're eating pretty much crap, you know, and but it tastes good. And so they know that they can replace good pure animal protein because we, the consumer, don't care anymore. You know, the way that we source our foods is very detached. And once again, this is not a judgment. This is an observation that I've seen throughout, you know, especially the last three years. And they've created a lot of true, pure food deserts, food deserts in the United States. And people don't have market access to good food, even if they try. So that's where I came up with the beef initiative because I knew how we used to do it. We used to go shake a rancher's hand, which he was usually a friend. And he had our side of beef and that's how it was done. There's no reason, there's no reason we can't as strong individuals right now, especially as Bitcoiners, cannot go and establish those relationships. I, everybody asks me what the beef initiative is. Well, it's many things. One of the most powerful things it is, it's, it's relationship building. 
that's what the beef initiative is. It's a handshake. It's a peer to peer transaction of respect and education. And that's where we're moving forward with the beef initiative. And we're, we're kind of having some good luck. Yeah. So in the beef initiative, I know you said it could be as many things. Um, mm -hmm. So is, is this trying to like, what's the goal, the main goal of the beef initiative besides all the stuff you just listed is to, to get as many ranchers to be able you know, to supply stores, what, what's the main goal there? Well, we're, no, I don't even go to supermarkets anymore. They're trash cans to me. I, you know, I, I go there every once in a while if I have to. You know, I, I eliminate the supermarket out of my life as much as I can. And uh, I don't need it. I know not everybody can do that. And yeah. so what we do is, yeah, we're bringing in ranchers that want to have a voice again. Okay. Because, you know, if you look at a rancher and he's trying to have his own market access and he's trying to build a consumer base, it's very difficult for him. A rancher's not, you know, that in tune with technology and, you know, the Internet in general. They're too busy being ranchers. Right. So the Beef Initiative platform, we're having ranchers that are coming in. The Beef Initiative platform is open sourced. It's crowdsourced. And so every rancher that's coming into the beef initiative right now, people are finding them and they're actually establishing those types of relationships. That's phase one. Get into the beef initiative. If you have an animal producer, a rancher, somebody that you like as a Bitcoiner, as just a consumer that came across the beef initiative in Texas, Sun, get the producers into the platform. Step two is like, hey, how can we help you with your technology stack? How, we, how can we help you have a voice? My big thing is you look at a rancher, they have one revenue stream and that's selling that product, right? Well, I want to give them more pillars of strength so they can educate, so they can have uh, maybe content delivery. They can have their revenue stream based on selling their product that they can have a voice again. And the beef initiative to the rancher is having a voice. The beef initiative to a consumer is having market access to somebody who wants to have that voice because they're an educator and they provide pure animal protein. That's such a powerful movement. Yeah, I'm glad you broke that down. I was a bit confused on what it was at its sure. core, but that's that's amazing there. <laughs> it takes one, a little time. It takes a little time. Yeah, I just didn't know it was like, I, I thought it was something you were building, but I didn't know it was for all ranchers, right? Like to mm -hmm. give them that voice, to give them that pedestal. And I think that's amazing. Uh, something that I heard you uh, on a recent episode of your show uh, tell Cole is uh, it's important uh, not being a salesman, but being an educator. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's huge as well because we're so used to, the salesman, the charlatan, the person that just mm -hmm. continues to come and says, this is the best thing on earth, but not give us the education as to why. And I think that's how we got into this situation in the first place is following the charlatans. Man, you look at, you know, and everybody's got to, you know, everybody's got to make a living. When it, part of my technology journey in Austin was working in marketing and different types of marketing. And you want to talk about a broken damn system, of <laughs> mainstream marketing. Oh, my God. You know, the last I mean, I, I'm just serious. The last three years, I've eliminated every commercial out of these years. Love these it. eyes. I don't watch TV. I haven't watched TV in almost three years. I don't listen to any advertisements. And I can't tell you how much peace of mind that brings. And then if you really go back to what, you know, you heard Cole and I say is that he's not a salesman, man. He's an educator. 90% of his time he spends educating on how he does things, how he stewards the land, how he stewards the animal, and how he basically designs, you know, that pure animal protein. That's the conversation. Once you hear that type of education, you can't go back. You don't want to. So you create a whole new intentional lifestyle that allows you to focus, point your compass in a different direction. And the more you do that and the more that you yearn for that education, 
is the more that you're going to eliminate all that charlatan bullshit that we go through in the United States and the world. And you see a shift in your mindset, you, you, in your spirit, in your strength, and in, in your intentionality, it changes. And if you go into this directly pure animal protein, I tell everybody, man, it's an international lifestyle. You just don't understand it yet because it'll change your life from physical to, you know, mental, you know, to spiritually, to educational. You understand where food really comes from. And it just, it doesn't come from the supermarket. And I, I have to tell people that all the time. I get that answer. I say, hey, where does your food come from? And they'll say, well, it's the supermarket. I get it at Costco. You know, I get, you know, it's a better than any. Man, you go to any hamburger joint in, uh, in, in a city and you can go up to them here in the Texas Panhandle, you can go to five hamburger joints and you say, where do you get your beef? And every one of them is going to say, Benny Keith, Benny Keith, Benny Keith. What are they saying? The beef all comes from the same place. No matter the charlatan type of marketing and advertising you put behind it, it's still shit beef. Right. And that's what people need to start understanding is eliminate that marketing type of, you know, I, it, it's corruption. It's, it's basically, it's something that you see a lot of people, you know, create a lot, a lot of zombie companies based on these marketing plans and they get discovered. That's why I knew that we had to start the beef initiative in Bitcoin Twitter. That's exactly where I started. it. Yeah. No. And, and back to the, uh, the, the, the education is what builds the conviction, similar to Bitcoin. Like if you fall 100%. for a Bitcoin charlatan, then you're going to get wrecked. But if you actually do your own education and go to the sources that are not trying to sell you anything, but trying to teach you something, yeah. you will be convicted. You will gain conviction and you will continue to be you know, more bullish and more open and yeah, transform your life. So same parallel there with, with uh, Bitcoin on the marketing thing. I was actually having this conversation yesterday with a, a coworker of mine. I used to do marketing like uh, on my own. I used to do like this shitty predatory marketing, like Facebook ads and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So like, and then I would, I would, I told them, I was like, the problem with that arena is, is you have to balance between do I pump my bags or do I sleep well at night? Like yeah. it was just such a shitty industry to be a part of. And you needed to like be a charlatan in order to be successful. But my virtues would not allow me to continue to be a liar or a charlatan. And then I was making, you know, not as much money as my peers. So I had to step away from that industry, which fast forward to today is why I'm so extremely passionate on, you know, value for value podcasting and, and being able to like provide talking and bits and all this education and the guests that come on off of my expense, off of my tab. I'm not charging you, you for a subscription, not charging you to, to anything. I'm just saying, if you like it, support it. And if you don't, that's fine. The information will always be here either way. Um, mm -hmm. so I agree with you 100%, uh, and, and the initiative you're doing. So you've taken on the road, you, you've yep. been around, you have a conference coming up, uh, in, a, in about a week here or a few weeks here. Um, talk to me a little bit about, you know, traveling and teaching. Yeah, I just got it. Yeah, I call it the Texas to Tennessee barn raising tour. And I was on the road for a month, but the overall trip was about 40 days. I did about 7,800 miles and I think it was about 11, 12 states a lot of it was tennessee a lot of it was north carolina south carolina missouri arkansas texas oklahoma you know that region of the country that i went through and i i don't i have to get out there and see shit i yeah. can't look at it from this computer screen man i gotta go out there and meet people because that's that's what i tell people to do yeah. and so i was able to compile it was it was kind of done you know very fast it was kind of knee-jerk but i had to do it before colorado 
and my intentions was to go out there and meet, you know, the Nash Bitcoiners, to meet Knoxville, Chattanooga, you know, uh, Charlotte, uh, Charleston, you know, all these places that were doing meetups. And it wasn't a numbers game. It's so I could get on the road. I could look at the United States and do some reconnaissance, not on the interstate, but the back roads of the United States. And so I did a lot of freaking traveling on the back roads and I wanted to see I wanted to see the land. I wanted to see these food deserts that a lot of people are sourcing their foods from. And so what I was trying to do is kind of bring education to these Bitcoin meetups, you know, go shake some hands and say, hey, we're going to work together moving forward. And we're not just going to do it through, you know, these podcasts, which I, we all love. I, I love doing these podcasts and everything, but there's nothing better than, you know, spending your days meeting people face to face these days. You know, the division of interpersonal communication across the world is an epidemic within itself. And so, you know, the next couple of years, that's what I'm going to do. I'm dedicating myself to do the United States. We're going to go to Australia. We're going to go to Asia. We're going to go to Europe. This is something that's, you know, homegrown out of Texas, but it's also a national thing. And now we've got a headquarters in Texas. We've got a headquarters in Nashville over there at Bitcoin Park with uh, Odell, Rod and Mills, the founders there. We've got a, a headquarters in Colorado. So I have to put, put the proof of work. I have to go out there and educate because a lot of people that I did talk to, they don't really understand what's going on with food. And I totally am empathetic with that. People, we're going through a global industrial food shift is what I call it right now. And you're starting to see what's happening in the Netherlands and Europe and across the world. They're coming after our, and I'm not going to be this dooms dude, but global shift. And it's been planned for decades. In the last time that they all got together and really signed some contracts on the global and government and corporate level was 2017 and 2018. They've had four years to do what they're doing. COVID was a distraction yeah. and it's going to move forward. And they're taking the cow, they're taking the animal and taking the soil out of your consumption model. And they're going to tell you that you're saving the planet and that it's going to taste good. And a lot of people will go along with that. You know, they're digitizing food. We're going ESG route these days. You know, everything that we know in the Bitcoin space, it's coming. And if you don't get intentional about your consumption model and, the, and creating your own market access to your nutrition, you're going to get trapped. And, you know, if it's, if it's important to you to have a clear mind and, and a strong body and, you know, something that we all as Bitcoiners, and if you want a legacy, well, you better start looking at food the same way you're looking at the dollar. They're the same thing. And you can't just say, I'm going to be a great, you know, maxi and hodl and have all this Bitcoin. If you don't have market access to clean food that you control, then you're going to, you're going to be weaker. You're going to be fragile. You're going to be vulnerable. And so I had to go out there and start telling people that. And, you know, so that's what I've been doing. You know, first couple of years was a lot of recon, a lot of, you know, research and analysis. And the next two years is going to be actually, you know, speaking the gospel here. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, and why is there... Before you, I know this is probably a hard thing to answer. Before you, was there anybody else doing what you're doing or as passionate about it as you are? Because you are a ton of signal. And I don't think I've ever heard anybody speak about those parallels between the dollar and food just uh, quite like you. I don't think there's a lot of people, you know, we'll, we'll focus on regenerative. You know, regenerative yeah. has always been around. It's, it's how we got here, right? And there's a lot of very, very great people in the regenerative space that have a name for themselves. You know, they, there is, you, you have people like, you know, Joe Salatin, you have uh, Will Harris, you have Rob Wolf, you have a lot of people in, in they're doing and they're educating. They've been doing it a long time, but I don't think that they really 
have, and they're still not yet. None of them have been orange pilled. And that's one of my, you know, goals is to get to all these people orange pilled. And by saying that, yeah, there's been a lot of work done, a lot of things that have been accomplished that, you know, educate me and everybody can educate themselves when it comes to food, the soil itself, you know, where does our food truly come from? But I haven't seen anybody doing it, you know, uh, safety and of course has got the fiat standard. He talks about food, you know, Bitcoin standard in his books, he touches on them. So there's, yeah, there's some good signal out there. But I, I haven't seen solutions. I don't right. know. There's no solutions that I've seen that you can actually have a vertical integration from the soil all the way to your fork that is decentralized with sound money and uh, sound processes and sound producers. And so, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't look around that much anymore. I'm pretty hyper focused on what I'm doing. And I think, you know, the signal's growing and people are starting to make the correlation and then they're starting to look at, you know, how we can move forward and how actually we become more powerful as Bitcoiners when we look at food and Bitcoin at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. No, you're, you're looking for the solution on top of that big domino. Um, I, mm -hmm. maybe it's cause I'm up here in the Northeast or whatever, but I haven't heard uh, any other figures that you just highlighted, but yeah, the Northeast is, uh, <laughs> Oh, it's, it's tough up there, man. It, yeah, it is man. Tough. I mean, the good news is, and this sounds kind of cowardice in a way, but the good news is, is I'm actually moving down to Texas no, in, in, it, in, in it, the it, next few weeks. So I'm well, kind of like, escaping. man. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> but like, I kind of feel like there's still obviously, you know, loved ones here, just people as in, in general up here that need to get this wisdom and be saved. And I know we have a mutual friend, LC Hoddle, uh, oh, who's yeah. very passionate about, you know, uh, mm -hmm. about doing that and, and homesteading and all that lifestyle. But um, how much of it, uh, of and we're going to shift this over to Texas here in, in this part of the conversation. But how much of who you are? I, I heard the episode that you had with Marty and Parker when you talk about the history of Texas. Mm -hmm. How much of who you are, what you are, and that proof of work 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 ethic is a Texas built thing? Mm -hmm. Hundred percent. There's okay. no you can't you can't separate me from um, the true Texan that I am. And, uh, you know, that said with a, a, a sense of you know, very humble, very a lot of humility there. But, uh, you know, the way I grew up, I mean, we had to survive every day. When I grew up, we had cheese and milk delivered on our porches, you know, at times because, you know, those were commodities that, you know, gave that, you know, communities got. And so, like I say, I grew up working my ass off, physical hard work, you know, from you know, farming, the ranching. I grew up, you know, breaking horses. I've done it. I'm not, you know, like there's more badass cowboys out there than me, you know, and I give them all the props in the world, but I guarantee you, I've been knocked down a couple of times. And like I said, I've broken a lot of bones. And so the heritage in which I grew up with is a hundred percent who you see. This ain't no dipshit out here, you know, acting like a cowboy. And you see a lot of that crap in Bitcoin. You see the charlatans and stuff like that. And, you know, if, you, if you're going to, you know, I get it. The haters are starting to come out. The trolls are starting to come out. But I guarantee you, I'll go up and step up toe to toe with you anytime. Yeah. And, you know, and I have no problem with that. You might knock my ass down, but I, I, you won't keep me down. And so that's the only thing I know is, is, ha is to have that integrity of, uh, you know, strength and proof of work. We don't know any, anything else from where I come from. You know, my, my, uh, one of my grandfathers, he was on his own when he's eight years old. 
he was sharecropping and working. He didn't have his family. They sent him off to work. And that's, you know, during these times of the Great Depression. You know, my other grandfather survived the Great Depression, the Dust Bowl, gold confiscation, and two world wars as a farmer rancher. What he did not survive was the debasement of the U.S. dollar as a farmer and rancher. And so you want to talk about some decades that I can reflect reflect on is like where I come from and who I am and how I was raised. I'll talk about that all day. And that's why I love talking history with like Marty and Parker, because it's fascinating. If you look at Texas history, you know, and that that rip we did, you know, in the 1880s, Texas started feeding the nation and they did it with beef. And that's what I'm trying to get people to understand is that this is where we are in 2022, and that's what the Beef Initiative is all about. We're going to go out there. We're going to create a new cattle drive. We're going to bring proof of work, and we're going to bring some integrity and intentionality to get people to wake up and get rid of the convenience model and the complacency and get some grit into your life and start it with food. And if you do that, you know, you, can, you, you do. You become better. You, you become proud in a good way. And, you know, that's kind of the signal and the message I want to send out there. It's not an ego, man. Yeah. It has nothing to do with ego. And it, it's not about being a, a LARPer. You know, I don't get all that crap, how people can put up it and do that LARPing over and over again, because you're going to get found out. And, you know, because, you know, I, I talked to Rob with the Bitcoin movie, you know, Bitcoin movie guy. And in one of the first scenes that we record, or one of the scenes recorded is like, hey, guys, Bitcoin exposes the truth. And everybody in this space, well, if you get into Bitcoin, it's going to expose who you are. So you're going to be good with it or you're not. You're going to be found out or you're going to be okay. You're going to be proud. You're going to stand on your own two feet and you're going to move forward in a very intentional, strong way. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I see that left and right, whether it's just direct peers just being exposed and that, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I say sometimes I don't mean to diss this guy, but I had a previous co-host of the show and he's fantastic. You know, I still talk to him to this day, all that. But I found that I found that as we got deeper into the Bitcoin rabbit hole here together on the show, a lot of him was starting to get unraveled. A lot of the shit coinery, a lot of the, you know, the old marketing that we were talking about and just yeah. trying to show products to people. And, you know, that's not as big as an example as you gave, but just a near example to me that Bitcoin will always, you know, expose the fakes, the LARPs, the, like the mm-hmm. people that don't really get it. Uh, and they'll either, either be forced to get it. Or they'll just get left behind and everybody sure. else to continue checking along. I mean, look at these cycles that we go through. I mean, look what, what, look what just happened this past week. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing. And that's why I love Bitcoin so much. And that's why I can be pretty, you know, outspoken these days because I've, you know, my signal has grown and grown and grown, but it's been very, it's a slow roll. Yeah. That's what I say. It, it is a slow roll. I don't say shit unless it's true or it's yeah. something that's very verified. And in a lot of people, you know, they have a hard time understanding that and they, they try to throw, you know, stuff and it's like that, that shit ain't going to stick with me. Right. And so if everybody in the Bitcoin space, all of us individuals, if we started moving forward that way, we can accomplish a hell of a lot more than what we're having to do in these cycles to all that time that is wasted, all that LARPing, you know, all of that shit coinery of spirit and mind and of actually, you know, functioning in the, in this space of Bitcoin and you look at Bitcoin and it goes, you know, in these volatile markets. Well, it's because of the shitcoin world of how people leverage Bitcoin in the wrong way. And once again, it's just exposing the truth of what's happening in these cycles. 
Well, you look at your own life, your cycle of life, you know, don't be afraid to have that accountability mirror where you can look at it and say, yeah, I kind of screwed. I was kind of a freaking rent seeker before, you know, I admit it. I was a big ass rent seeker, man. I have no problem. I was good at it. I had fun. You know, don't we all right. But no more. It's, you know, it's not pure. It's not truth. It's not love. It's not strength. So I don't have time for it. Yeah. And what about in that situation, there a society that doesn't, what I call it, doesn't forget. So in that example, you know, we've all been somebody before. We all go through changes. We all, Mm -hmm. you know, adapt and get better. But for some reason, society doesn't allow us to adapt and get better. They still want to hold us to the standards of what they knew us as before. How do you feel about that? Well, it happens. I mean, you know, my father was a counselor for 25 years. He counseled people of addiction and, you know, psychological problems. You know, a lot of what you see in society right now, and especially, you know, the, the toxic part of the Bitcoin Twitter is, you know, you have a displacement and somebody comes after you, usually they're exposing themselves. You know, the more popular you get, the more people, you know, lash out to you and they try to displace their fears or their lies upon you. And then, you know, the, the liberal world order that we're developing into they're masters at it. You know, that's part of social engineering in which we live in today is that displacement of evil upon somebody else first before they get exposed themselves. Hmm. So anybody that comes after and is acting like they're a gatekeeper of truth and stuff, and they're using it in a very malicious and nefarious way, I'm going to study them a little bit and see what they're really, what is their MO and what is the distraction here? Well, usually it's distraction is because they're telling on themselves and they're too stupid to realize that. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. I got two more points here in respect to your time here, Slim. No problem. One one thing I want to know your definition or your feelings on Bitcoin maximalism. Man, you know, I heard what LC said, you know, what a pleb was the other day. Right. And, you know, maximalism, you know, I, I, I picked up a term a long time ago and it came from my father. He's 81 years now, you know, he's retired and, you know, I spent a lot of time with him. But one thing he taught me is like, you know, half measures of value, nothing. And I think in this society that half measures are a standard that we can't basically accept anymore. So if you want to call maximalism bad, well, why are you saying that? Is it because you're fragile? Is it because you're vulnerable? Is it because you don't understand? Is it because you've never basically maxed out something in your life that gave you positive outcome? I look at maximalism as a way it's like, hey, it's balls to wall now, guys. You either could commit or you're not. If you're going to do some half measures within this space, you ain't going to survive or you're going to get knocked down and you're going to have to rebuild and it's not a time to rebuild with half measures. It's a time to rebuild in a form of maximalism thought and of action. And because you know what? They're coming at us that hard with maximalism. You think that this social engineering and this, you know, this, this global food and you know, shift that's going on, this monetary reset that's going on, do you think they're going to do half measures? Do you think that they get a little bit of freedom from you from being complacent and with a, you know, a lifestyle built on convenience? Do you think they're going to half-ass that? No, they're going to go maximum all the way to basically give, take away your freedoms, to prohibit your life in a way that you don't see coming yet. So if people come out and they say maximalism is evil, nah, it's usually because it's somebody's fragile or they feel vulnerable or they don't know, truly understand the strength that an individual can, a sovereign, a sovereign minded individual can have. 
if you if you think you're going to get through all this uh, moving forward and create a legacy for yourself with the half measure, you need to reevaluate. Well said. Yeah, I see. Battle maximalism with maximalism. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, yeah. Why I'm, would you not, man? You're not going to tell. I know who I am. I know what I stand for. I know my strengths, my weaknesses. I know the you know that maybe the things in the past that I didn't do correctly or the people that I hurt. Well, well, you know what. If I do it again, it's going to be done balls to the wall. And I'm not going to apologize until I know that it was something that was wrong. Yeah. But until then, I'm going to keep on going full steam ahead and I'm not going to slow down. This is my life now, you know, and we all should start looking at it this way. We can't sit on our hands right now. You know, a number just don't go up and, yeah. you know, we can't say we're going to make it. The only way we make it is during times of mass prohibition, you should be creating times of mass innovation. And that's how I look about the beef initiative. And that's how I look at the Bitcoin space and the, the form of maximalism that is out there. Are there some assholes that are maximalists? You're damn right. And they'll have yeah. to answer to that. You know, where does it come from? What is their intention with that maximalism? Is it to cover their ass? Is it to get more followers? Is it to, you know, LARP into a new way to, you know, do some fiat scamming? Who knows? They're going to have to, we all have to answer, man. We all yeah. have to answer it sometime. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mac, there's similar meaning to you. I just, I've, when people say you're a Bitcoin maxi, I say 1000% because I want to give everything I have to this protocol, to this technology that has literally transformed my life in the time that I've been in it. And I think it's the last spear we have. I think it's the last hope that we have is when it comes to battling fiat. Um, and I want to give it all to it. I have no time to waste or no fucks given about any, anything else in the space. So no, you're not going to, you're not going to guilt me. (laughs) Yeah. And that's what people try to do is they try to guilt people. They try to guilt and shame. And it's based on a form of, like I said, it's a, it's a form of fragility and that's okay. People are fragile. Some people are just fragile. They don't have, you know, a lot of, you know, the grit or the, the intestinal fortitude or the mental fortitude that they, I think is required moving forward. But, you know, if they're, if they're, if they are fragile, man, I've always protected everybody around me. I've broken my damn hand five times growing up defending my friends. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you have to understand where fragility comes from. And if it's very innocent form of fragility, you protect it. If it's a form of fragility that's based on guilting and shaming, well, you better get out of my way because it ain't going to fly. Love it. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Last one, Slim. Um, any advice for a new, uh, here in a few weeks, new Texan? <laughs> yeah. Where are you? Okay. You don't have to say what part of Texas. I, I, you, I've already said it a bunch of times. I work for Unchained Capital, by the way. So I would be, I'll be in the Austin area. <laughs> okay. So you're going to be working those guys. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have know, been for a year, but yeah, man, embrace that community. I cannot, I cannot say enough about car about Logan Troy, you know, Logan Troy from day one has been helping me with my podcasts and he's been doing a great job. Yeah. And you look at Carr. I mean, Carr is a phenomenal person, you know, everything that he does, you look at Marty Parker, you know, you look at the, 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 basically the network that, you know, Kyle Murphy, you know, Michael with, Oh, she's there. Just the strength of that community that they're, they're not asking for permission. Uh, my best uh, thing is to, to go into uh, Texas. If you're going to be a new Texan, we, we invite everybody, right? This is a Texas phrase, but don't try to change this. Don't try to change Texas. You know, you respect it. And then you basically innovate within the, the, the environment in which you, you have found and you found a very good environment down there. 
in, you know, in the, the plebs of uh, Austin, you know, right over there off of, you know, Lamar and uh, sixth or uh, I'm sorry, sixth and Congress, yep. you know, everything you've got off of seventh and Brazos. There's, there's plenty of people down there that you're going to actually really, you're going to enjoy what you just, you're stepping into. But the biggest thing that I'm going to hold you to now is that you're going to get out of the damn city too. You're going to go explore the hill country. You're going to get on, you know, certain highways. You're going to go look at towns like Mason, Yano, Blanco, Fredericksburg, Kerrville. You know, you're going to go down to Guadalupe, the green, you know, green, uh, green hall down there off the Guadalupe river out of New Braunfels. You got Seguin, you got Lockhart, Luling, you know, coal with KNC cattle is opening up a, you know, processing plant out there and close to Luling. We're going to have a major function out there the first of November out in Luling at a ranch. So get out and discover Texas, get out of the city. And that goes for everybody. If you're Houston, Dallas, and if you're a transplant in the state of Texas, get out of the city and go make it an intentional lifestyle. Go meet some damn ranchers and some animal producers. Go invite people into your world and let them educate you where Texas is, where it came from, and really embrace Texas for, for something that's beyond the cities that are, you know, powerhouse part of Texas as well. But the true power of Texas is the landmass and the, and, the, and the people that live out in the country. All right. Well, you can hold me to it. I'll definitely take that. We have it here on record. Yeah. And you, uh, and, and you ever need anything, you, you call me any day of the week and I'll say, okay, what are you trying to accomplish? What are you wanting to do? I guarantee you I'll have an answer for you. All right. I appreciate it. Looking forward to it. Uh, this is going to be in the next few weeks here. And yeah, uh, not only do I work at Unchained, which is super powerful, but Carr mm-hmm. is pretty much my kid's uncle. I, I joke with him all the time. He's uncle Carr to my kids. So he, oh, he's yeah. a fantastic guy. I agree with you. Yeah. Um, all right, Slim, if you want to plug in anything, I know you got a conference coming up, the podcast. Yes. Where do you want the listeners to go get more of this incredibly valuable information that we all need? You bet. Uh, the best place, of course, is the Beach Initiative itself, beachinitiatives.com. Uh, we have a uh, conference coming up. It'll be our second conference this year. It's uh, out in Colorado. It's at uh, Jason Rick of Rick Ranches, his ranch out there in the North Valley. Uh, you know, it's a phenomenal valley there in Colorado. It's a three-day conference. Uh, it's amazing. We're going to feed you everything. It's going to be regenerative, locally sourced from the ranch itself. And so it's, it's an educational conference. It's a lifestyle conference. It's a, it's a family gathering. It's intimate. It's entertainment. We're going to have DJ Val there. She's going to be playing music. We're going to have Econo Alchemist. We're going to have Katie the Russian. We have AK-47. We've got Aceris. We've got, uh, uh, gosh, I'm going blank right now. We've got Jason himself. We've got Weldon Warren of uh, Holy uh, Cow Farms. We've got Scott from Sacred Songs Farms. Look at the uh, lineup in, on the conference itself. But that's the first page you see at the Beef, Beef Initiative Conference on the beefinitiative.com. Uh, go to that. Look at the education that we've partnered up with uh, Foundation Devices. We're doing education for the American Rancher. Go to Texas Slim's vision right now. Go to the, uh, in that my podcast. We're basically announcing in Colorado that we now have a media company. It's going to be called Texas Slim's Media. Nice. And so we're going to podcasting 2.0. We're going, you know, every damn platform that we can get in decentralized. We're going to, you know, sound communications. We're going to start ramping it up. So there's plenty to discover right now. Just get into the signal. But if you haven't heard of me or you don't know what I'm talking about right now, Go to my Substack. It's texaslim.substack.com. 
there's basically a book in there that you can get up on your food intelligence, up on the lifestyle, up on the beef initiative and kind of how do you can step into this direction. Yeah, so much signal and all of that. And I, I've recently definitely been head, head deep into your stuff and, and appreciate everything you're doing, not only for us Bitcoiners, but, but for civilization, in my opinion, for the average yeah. uh, a, a, a civilian here. So thank yeah. you so much for your time, Slim. Appreciate you. Friend of the show. If you ever need anything from Talking in Bits, whether it's just to come on, whether it's just to talk or anything else, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. Man, I, I love this. I love doing these type of rips with, you know, people in this community like yourself. I have the utmost respect for, you know, how people, you know, their time management, their intentionality with the message, with the signal, how this is one big collaboration, man. We're doing this together. This is not an individual thing. Strong individuals create strong communities and strong individuals like yourself and like I'm trying to be, you know, this is how we win. So everybody get on board and, you know, come for the ride, man. But much respect. Thank you for having me on. And we'll do this again, maybe after the, the conference. Because I have good. some big announcements after that. We're going to have a really big uh, conference in Georgia in September. So mark the calendar. Ooh, I'm going to be there. I might miss the Colorado one for sure, but th- that one is right in my, my, that, my alley. That one's going to be that one's going to be international. So get ready. All right. Super there. All right, folks. We appreciate you guys as always. If you loved any of the value that you received on today's episode or any of the other episodes, you know where to find us. Value for Value podcasting apps. I like Fountain, I like Breeze, but there's many of them out there. Let's keep this decentralized. Use your favorite one um, and stream us some sad, stream us some value if you need to. If you want to catch this 4K content, then you can check us out on Bitcoin TV. That's the place we want you to go. And if you haven't got to the Bitcoin standard, what are you waiting for? You can check us out on the legacy outlets as well. YouTube, Spotify, all that. And you can like, rate, share, and subscribe so we can help get this signal up to the top. But get on that Fountain, get on that Bitcoin TV. And we appreciate you guys as always. See you next week. Later. Peace.